I'm E. I'm Rob. Welcome to the next movement. They say the goodness in life belongs to those who believe. So I believe. Yes. I start to think and then I sink into the paper. Like I was ink when I'm right and I'm trapped in between the lines. I escape when I finish the rhyme. And yo, I start to think and then I sink into the paper. Like I was ink when I'm right and I'm trapped in between the lines. I escape. When I finished, my pop said he was in love when he made me. Thought about it for a second, wasn't hard to see. I could hear he was sincere, it was a game of promotion. The entire affair is probably charged with emotion. When love call your heart, I guess you got the pursuit. 12, 11, 7, 3, my life is testament. Praise the beneficent element that breath. Devoid in the form to make love manifest. I spent my early years in Roosevelt projects. It was a bright valley with some dark prospects. In 83, Vandy C was the host with the most. I listened to the rap. Attack and hold the radio close. I listened to the rap attack and held the radio close. This was far before the days of high glamour and post. Hey yo, power from the street light made the place dark. I know a few understand what I'm talking about. It was love for the thing that made me wanna stay out. It was love for the thing that made me stay in the house. Spending time writing rhymes, trying to find words to describe the vibe. This inside the space where you close your eyes and screw your face. Is this the pain of too much tenderness to make me nod my head in reverence? Should I visit this place in remembrance of build landmarks here as evidence? Nighttime spirit shook my temperament to write rhymes that betray this sentiment. We live the now for the promise of the infinite. We live the now for the promise of the infinite. And we believe in the promise. It always feels like there's this large gap between me picking an album to discuss but it's really not been that long. I think my last pick was Black Rain. And I think that was what, like two months ago? Yeah. I think it's this new universe we live in. Time moves so slowly. So two months feels like two years ago. Right. So maybe it's that. But anyways, when I was thinking about an album to pick, I was really looking for something specific. I wanted to talk about a record in which the artist was specifically engaging with the black community and i recognize that you could say that about a lot of albums in hip-hop considering its history and and its foundation but i wanted something really personal and that led me to black on both sides because when i listen to this album it feels like most deaf now yasin bay is speaking directly to his community the black community yeah you know there's an intimacy there and it's funny because to prep for this, I was listening to Heat Rocks. We talked about that podcast before. They mm-hmm. Their structure is really similar to ours in that they have guests on and they focus on one particular album. Their genres are a little bit more wide-ranging than ours. Um, but anyways, they had somebody on. He is a senior editor at Bandcamp, and they were talking about Black on both sides. Mm-hmm. And the two hosts asked this guy, they said, describe Black on both sides in three words. And he said, a love letter. And I'll take that one step further and say a love letter to black people, because that's what this album feels like to me. Yeah, I heard that same interview. If I remember correctly, his view was more of a love letter to Brooklyn, a love letter to uh, his neighborhood, to most Duff's neighborhood. Right. If you're looking at it that way, I do think that he speaks specifically to his community, specifically the black community in Brooklyn, but also 
the black community in America. Yeah, absolutely. And the black community across the globe. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so I, my definition of that is more broad, but yeah, I, I do agree. I, I agree. It is, there's definitely moments where you can feel that connection between him and his community specifically in Brooklyn. Oh yeah. Definitely a theme. Yeah. On the album. Well, I, I don't think you're alone, you know, in this, uh, you know, this view. I read, um, I think it was The Root. I read a review in The Root that was like positing that if this album came out now, it would be considered the like the blackest album of all time mm -hmm. um, because of how like passionately he speaks to and about the black community. Right. I think that's an accurate take. And we are, you know, we're all geared up for it. You've got your super black hat on. I'm drinking my black is beautiful beer. I mean, it's that's that's how it resonates. It's interesting because I mean, this album is is vastly different but kind of similar, but a lot of the emotions I feel when I'm listening to Black on Both Sides, I feel when I'm listening to Seat at the Table because of the structure of the album, because both records are artists speaking to their communities and when i listen to both records i feel a sense of pride in who i am as a black person black woman i feel a sense of belonging i feel validated in my experiences as a black person living in this world these records and i'll switch back to black on both sides that record provides a safe space for black folks to engage in for black folks to feel all those feelings that i just talked about that's actually the exact parallel that was in this uh this article that i read i think like i said i think it was the root that was the exact parallel that i made a seat at the table compared to black on both sides mm, that is interesting i did not read that article <laughs> what like what makes black on both sides unique in that way that it that it brings out that like sense of pride and that that it resonates so much with you as a black person for a lot of different reasons. I mean, you know, there he addresses a lot of different things um, within the songs that are on this record. You know, it's it's educational, you know, mm -hmm. and in that way, you know, because of who the audience is, it's educational for, for black folks. Like, I think he's speaking directly to black folks saying, like, we got to get it together. Like, this is what's going on in the world around us. This is what's going on in our communities. and again like a sense of pride because of how he addresses the audience on the record i mean several times he says my people black people you know so again it's that sense of belonging and then you know celebrating our accomplishments you know i think about rock and roll and black folks having to navigate these these white spaces when we've made a lot of contributions to those spaces you know, so there's a lot of different themes present and there's a lot of different conversations happening on this album. Yeah, you're talking about the, the educational piece. And I thought about rock and roll and I thought about New World Water and I thought about mm -hmm. mathematics. And, yeah. And there are these these other just really like anthems of black pride, like Umi says and Climb, I think, could be one to love, track love. I mean, even Miss Fat Booty. Like he's talking about a beautiful black woman. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things happening on this album, but again, I think it's one of the reasons I think it still stands up 20 years later is because of 
the conversations that are happening. And again, it provides this this space where black people can celebrate who they are, where they can feel validated in their experiences, where they can learn about what's happening in their communities and know that they are specifically being addressed. I mean, there's not really a question about that when you listen to the album. I don't know that that's always present in hip hop. You know what else I think is sort of unique about it is, you know, you know, you started talking about the different aspects that right. he, the different like areas or, or aspects of life that he addresses. And the parallel I was drawing in my mind was to um, Let's Get Free, Dead Prez, mm -hmm. um, who do a similar thing. But there's so much like um, optimism on black on both sides. It's more of like pride. And there's an optimistic tone to it. Like this shit is hard and it's fucked up, but mm -hmm. we're, we're in this together. I think it's definitely more, I don't want to say positive, but more hopeful. More hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that's what separates it from a lot of other records. I mean, I also think it's a really important album because of the time that it came out. You know, mm -hmm. we've talked about this so many times on the show, but, you know, in 99, things were so commercial at that point. I mean, Golden Era was, was done and you just had this new age of hip hop that was flashy and shiny. And people like Most Def brought us back to earth. And really tried to preserve the elements of the culture. Yeah, I have a vivid memory of going to buy this album. It must have been at like Sam Goody or some store like that in a mall. Yeah. And uh, I just was not buying as many records back then. You know, we, like you said, we've talked about this on the show previously. There was a, a time where I like wasn't listening to as much hip hop. But I remember buying this record and the clerk being like, oh, this is so dope. Yeah. And... And me saying, yeah, I can't wait to, I couldn't wait to hear it. Couldn't wait to listen to it. And it was one of the few, you're, you're right. It's like one of the few albums. He was one of the few artists at that time that I was really like genuinely excited about. Yeah. He brought this sort of like resurrection because we were, you know, I think it started in like, like 96, 97. We were on this straight path to commercialism. I mean, and, and by, again, by 99, it was so big that's that's like all hip-hop was except for these small pockets yeah like black on both sides yeah i mean really at this time raucous records and i think you could say deaf jux were like the two hubs at least on the east coast where more uh, sincere and like authentic hip-hop seemed to get made with some exceptions mm -hmm. you know but those two like independent sort of independent labels i think really really carried people through i i couldn't i was trying to think if i had this album and i convinced myself that i did and then then i said no you didn't <laughs> um i think i just illegally downloaded songs i'm sorry it was that time it was that time yeah. i did it i shouldn't have um and i think that's that's what i did i don't know that i actually had it had it but i do you know who took the picture of him for the album it's funny that you ask because I just investigated that today. I still have my. That's not true. This is. I bought this album twice, so I I bought it for you. All right. So okay. I bought it in '99 when it came out, and then I had that apartment fire that I've talked about before, and I lost yeah. everything. And so I bought it again, and I just pulled it out to look because I was curious about that myself. It says in the credits, photography, B plus slash Calabasas Tiernes. 
and Alvaro Gonzalez Campo. Um, I've not not heard of them, but either way, I love the cover. I love the picture of him. It's perfect. Yeah, it's just unfiltered, raw. Yeah, raw, raucous. Stripped down. Yeah, what you see is what you get, right. which is what he was trying to to do. I ain't no perfect man. I'm trying to do the best that I can with what it is I have. So there's a lot I think about this album that I, you know, obviously we we won't connect on in the same way. But one of the things that I think, in addition to what we've already said about what makes it sort of stand out from other albums, particularly other albums, uh, other projects that might be speaking directly to the black community or or echoing a sentiment of black pride, is the music itself, mm. the broad range of genre you know soul and jazz and and rock and roll he's rapping he's singing he's rapping he's singing i think also really sets it apart from yeah from other projects yeah i've said in the past there uh you know a bunch of rappers that like i really didn't find interesting when they started singing like CeeLo green and you know queen latifah i mentioned that too but for some reason i don't i don't mind at all when most def sings doesn't bother me in the least and maybe it's because he started doing it like you know this is his first record and he's singing on this album and i didn't have to one day you know pick up a most def album and be like why the hell did he start singing (laughs) i actually really enjoy uh, i find myself i listen to this album and i get the songs that he's singing i get them stuck in my head like for days yeah very catchy and you know the roster of producers on this is phenomenal it's another i think interesting thing about the album it's just that, like the personnel, you know, like mm-hmm. different worlds that he pulled together. I probably first heard most Def on the two two songs that I think about are Big Brother Beat on De La's uh, Stakes is High. Stakes is High. Which I think was like 96, 97. 96. Okay. And then Rock Rock Y'all on The Love Movement, on Tribes The Love Movement. Mm-hmm. Those are probably my first two, the first two times I heard most Def. And black on both sides is so interesting because he he pulls these these worlds together in working with um, you know eighty eight keys and Q tip lyricist lounge people, which mm-hmm. is really where he started to you know gain his footing. Yeah, 
Talib's on yeah. this album too, of course. Um, yep. But he's also working with uh, you know DJ Premier and Psycho Less, Diamond which, D, and Diamond D, which really gives it this like just a New York feel, you know, from all angles. Yeah, I don't want to compare too much, but like that roster of you know, I mean, A list producers and and but people that are, I mean, different. Yeah. You know, kind of reminds me of Illmatic. Like mm-hmm. these people came together for this young talent. And 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 I just think that speaks to I mean, in this case, it speaks to most Steph's abilities as an MC and what people saw in him because I just I can't imagine, you know, these folks doing this for anybody. Like you have to you have to believe in what this person is doing. So they all bought what he was selling. I don't selling. think there was any question at the, at this point, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, 98, 99. I don't think there's any question about his skill, about his talent. He'd already proven that. Especially, you know, if you listen to Black Star, uh, you know, it's just a year earlier. You listen to Black Star, you kind of know what's coming. You know what you're getting into. Sure. But even before that, like I said, with Lyricist Lounge, like, it's clear, dude is gifted. He's mm-hmm. He's gifted. Yeah. I mean, he's been, uh, yeah, you're right. At that point, he had been doing it for a while. So if you're on the scene and you're paying attention, you knew. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of off topic, but I forget that he also acts a great deal. Oh, yeah. He's in so many movies. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, I, I thought about that when we were, before we were, did this and just like preparing and, and reading stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> he also lives in this other world and he's a really good actor. Yeah, he's really good. And he's been in good, like good movies, good films. Yeah, quality films. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you could say that about a couple MCs, but I just... Again, I just think it. He, he's just really talented. I watched a clip of uh, Bamboozled t- mm-hmm. today, actually. I remember really liking that movie when it first came out. And so I watched a clip of it today. And it was it was, struck me how interesting it was for him to be playing this character. I don't know if you remember. Did you see the movie? Have, have you seen it? I did. And I hated, I hated my experience seeing it for the first time because we had to watch it for when I was in one of my journalism classes and I went to a school that was predominantly white. Mm. So I was probably the only black person in the class. And I just fucking hate watching that kind of stuff when I'm surrounded by white people. So my experience in watching it was not the greatest, but yeah, I, I definitely remember the movie. It was, it was just interesting to me today watching the clips that here he is in 2000 playing this um this really sort of radical mc who's you know big on uh, black nationalism and mm-hmm. black liberation and the scene that i watched he's like trying to get his sister in the film uh, jada pickett he's trying to get her to like hook him up with her connections and he's complaining about mainstream hip-hop he's like making fun of master p and talking about how like his crew brings his consciousness that needs that people need yeah which is funny to me because that's exactly what he i mean he wasn't like he didn't have the same like uh, aggressive like style that his character in that film did but this is what he's bringing to hip-hop in real life like this mm-hmm. this more rounded worldview this like consciousness which i don't even really like using that word because i don't really think of for whatever reason i don't think of black on both sides as like this conscious album it's just fucking good music he's a gifted mc and he's it just feels to me like he's speaking his heart. I hate the way we label things. Why? Wh- yeah, like why does it? And I know some people consider it conscious, but why does it have to be conscious? Why can't it be somebody just educating their community? Why do you have to? I just I, I hate that we get stuck in these 
labels. But it like puts it over to this like side somehow. Like that's like you're only, you'd only be interested in this if you want to think. Right. But it should be making you think. Like that's the whole point. You should always be thinking. <laughs> I mean, I don't. So that's why I'm kind of like, what, what, what do you mean conscious? Like, I, I don't know. I think that some of that comes from the industry um, and some of that also comes from our need to define fucking everything label everything mm-hmm. just let it be so to be the album it is yeah i think it's funny because he's sort of autobiographical and brown sugar too have you ever seen that i never saw that so i don't know if you know the premise but the premise is it's there's two people in it there a guy a guy and a girl so they grow up in new york the same time that hip-hop was coming out so they both love it and I can't remember anybody's names, but the woman works for Double XL. She's a writer, and the guy um, Tate Diggs is um, works for a record label. Most stuff is in it, and it's Tate Diggs' character is like sort of at this crossroad where he, you know, is a hardcore hip hop fan, and he really believes in in work that represents the culture, but he's being forced to put out this group that is fucking whack and so commercial and just everything that's wrong with what happened to hip-hop then you have most Def at mc he meets and sees perform and he's like no this is who we need to sign this is what's going to save hip-hop mm. so it's just so interesting because it, it's the same thing like he plays that role where he's just like this authentic rapper that is sort of kind of well not even kind of he is the opposite of what's happening in hip-hop he's he's the foundation he represents what hip-hop really is about yeah that is interesting i just looked it up brown sugar with 2002 yeah he's in it so is queen latifah what i enjoy though about him as the as an actor is just that yeah he's played these roles where he's like sort of himself in some way perhaps Mm -hmm. but he also plays just a wide wide variety of roles like some of the ones I like the most, he's like really he plays kind of a weirdo, you know, like uh, <laughs> "Be Kind Rewind" with Jack Black, where they like the two of them reenact famous movies. They like tape mm-hmm. over. Have you seen it? It's so good. I know what you're talking about, but no, I've they seen it. rent VHS tapes like you might have at Blockbuster, and then they tape over them. They make their own versions of the movie over the tape, and then give it back to the <laughs> yeah to the rental place. It's great. The Woodsman? Mm-hmm. I've seen that. That's a fucking brutal movie. That movie but, is a little heavy, yeah. But he's great in that. He's yeah. A, he's a total dick, but he's great. He has a lot of depth. I mean, I think that's how he is in real life, too. Just, like, hearing him talk about his life and interviews and stuff. He has a lot of interests. You know, he's not really this, like, one-dimensional person. He's sort of all over the place in that way. Really, like, grounded in his faith. You know, I think it was in the Heat Rocks interview that... The, uh, a guy from Bandcamp was saying, or maybe I don't. Somebody on that show was saying how they really felt like Black on both sides was probably was deeply like informed by his faith too, which mm. I can't say that I like have picked up on in the past. But I think it's in the Tribe documentary, um, you know, Beats, Rhymes, and Life, that Alicia He Muhammad talks about traveling to doing the pilgrimage to Mecca with with Mostef with Yasin mm. Bey mm. and. That's where I started learning more about like the faith side of his of his life and how like deeply rooted in that he is, how serious he takes it, which I think really gives you some insight into his depth as a person and mm-hmm. and how you might see that in his art 
or in his acting. You say one for the trouble, two for the time. Come on, speech is my hammer, bang the world in the shape, now let it fall. My restlessness is my nemesis. It's hard to really chill and sit still. Committed to page, I write around. Sometimes won't finish for days. Scrutinize my literature from the large to the miniature. I mathematically add minister. Subtract the wax selector. Will it back? I'm feeling that. From the core to the perimeter, black. You know the motto. Stay fluid, even in staccato. Most death, full blooded, full throttle. Breathe deep inside the jump hollow. There's the hum, young man, where you from? Brooklyn, number one. Native son, speaking in the native tongue. I got my eyes on tomorrow. Why you still trying to find where it is? I'm on the ad where it lives and dies. Violently, silently, shine so vibrantly that I squint and catch a glimpse. Embrace the bass with my dark ink fingertips. Used to speak the king's English, but caught a rash on my lips. Send out my chat just like this. Long range from the baseline. Switch. Move like an apparition. Go to the ground with ammunition. Move from the gate, voice cued on your tape, putting food on your plate. Many crews can relate. Who choosing your fate, yo? We went from picking cotton to chain gang line shopping to bebopping to hip hopping. Blues people got the blue chip stock option. Invisible man got the whole world watching. Where you at? I'm high, low, east, west, all over your map. I'm getting big props with this thing called hip hop, where you can either get paid or get shot when your product gets stopped. The fair weather friends flock when your chop position. Yeah, I think he's so creative in, in everything he does. Acting, rapping. I mean, he did that whole art display when he released the album Migas and had all these paintings. I mean, I think he painted some of them, if I'm remembering correctly. If he didn't, he paints regardless. But just the whole concept of how the exhibit was executed like you go in and you listen to the album you can't skip it you can't go back you can't you know and you just literally walk around and you look at these pieces and you listen to the to the music i love that shit in a world where we have everything accessible to us like you have to go in and if you want to hear the music that's how you have to experience it i heard a lot of people really critical of that actually how so? Mostly because it was in an, in an art museum, in a space. Like the criticism I heard from other people is that this is it's taking place in a space that's historically not been available or open welcoming. to. Welcoming, right, to people of color, to black people, which I thought was an interesting. That is interesting. And I, I won't even lie to you. I don't know the history of where it was. I mostly, in learning about it, I focus more on what was actually being done. So I didn't really do my due diligence and look up where it was and all that jazz, but that makes complete sense to me. And I can understand why people would feel that way. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it other than I remember that being a criticism. (laughs) No, I just, I mean, the reason I brought that up is I was just sort of speaking on his creativity. I just, I, I really like that concept. You know, I like when people do things that like are outside of the norm. I like it when people treat hip hop like art. Yeah. I have mad respect for that. I love how, this is off topic, but like Black Thought with his streams of uh, streams of thought projects, mm-hmm. like being very intentional about like treating it as high art, like putting art on the cover and giving credit to yeah. the artists who are involved. I see that idea most stuff releasing this album in a museum or it has the same like intent. Like this is art. Let's treat it like art. Yeah. And not compromising the direction you want to go in because we do it this way now. You know, mm-hmm. like I just hate when we get into that cycle 
I don't know. So you said you, you know, back in 99, you were gravitating towards other genres and, and sort of leaving hip hop alone for large part. What made you interested in black on both sides? Have you already been, I mean, were you a black star fan? I've been trying to remember whether I've found black on both sides first or black star. I'm pretty sure I found black, black on both sides first. Got it. It was his connection to, you know, like I said, like I had been exposed to him through De La and through tribe and 99, you know, it was also the same year as things fall apart. He's on, um, double trouble, which is might be one of my favorite roots songs mm-hmm. ever. So he's on that album and 99 is when the Soulquarians like start to get their stuff together. They start like working together more with the roots and common and most and mm-hmm. uh erica badu and, and you know all those people um yeah and, and th- those were people that i was definitely like they were that's where i wanted to be i was very into that their like style of artistry and music at that time so you know black on both sides was was not hard to get on board with mm-hmm. uh, honestly with few exceptions that's like all i listened to from for like five years from 99 maybe longer than that like those were the people I were check I was checking for the most. Got it. You liked who you liked and stayed in that circle. Yeah. Probably to my you know, to my detriment. I think that in the way of quality, there wasn't much out there. I think there was more out there than I like knew about, but just didn't like dig into enough. Yeah, and I, I also think we had more accessibility then with the internet and you know, blogs and stuff like that, like that stuff being more present. But I still think you had to do, you, you had to dig. Like it wasn't like it is now where you get these suggestions if you're listening to so and so. Yeah. You know? No, I would have been like, if it had been easier to listen to like the Lyricist Lounge stuff in 97 or 98, uh, I would have been totally into that stuff. Yeah. But at that point, you know, you had to pay, you had to pay up. Yeah. And I guess I just wasn't willing to, uh, <laughs> Wasn't willing to pay money for something I didn't know was a sure bet. Yeah, that space had to be incredible. Can you imagine? I can't. I no, I can't. I can't. I actually rewatched um, the episode on Hip Hop Evolution where they focus on that. Yeah, the history of Lyricist Lounge and why it was founded, and I just was like, damn. I I see stuff like that now, and I'm just like, I wish I was. I would have been old enough to occupy spaces like that to be able to be around all that energy had to be amazing and they turned it into you know it became huge it was like a huge deal and like brought so many people into the broader awareness you know mm-hmm. i mean it br- brought us people like most Def and teller Pelly and company flow and the list goes on and on yeah and they love when people get really creative and turn shitty situations around to work in their favor so like you know a hip hop evolution told us the reason that one of the reasons that Lyricist Lounge started is because folks were doing ciphers on the streets and Juliana was trying to clean that up. So they were getting a lot of shit and harassment from law enforcement when they were out and about. I mean, there was also the element of they wanted a space, but I think that was part of the reason that they got part of the motivation in starting it. I love when people are able to do that shit and come together as a community. That's how hip hop started, right? Exactly. I feel like there's a lot to talk about with this album and with most Def. Because most Def is, I think, a little bit like Nas in that often feels to me like the subject of great criticism. Yes. People have been expecting him 
to sort of make black on both sides two ever since 1999. And black star too. We're waiting for that. Right. I just wish people would let artists create on their own time. It ain't about you. I hate that shit. Like give them room to breathe and create. And if you're hungry for new, if you're hungry for their work, go back to their shit that they already got out. I just, I don't know. People are just so bold in the way that they have these expectations for people they don't even fucking know. Like they're owed something. How did you feel about the new danger? I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really listen to it. Okay. That was not heavy in my rotation. How did you feel about it? I remember being disappointed. It's interesting to go back and listen now because I think if you if we were really paying attention, the new danger really wouldn't have surprised us as much as it, I think it did. Mm-hmm. Like if you listen to Black on Both Sides and, and rock the track Rock and Roll yeah. specifically, would it really surprise you that he comes back with a with a rock album essentially? That he like puts a rock band together and makes an album? No, I mean just and I, I'll say that just because of who he is. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me now. Yeah. At the time, I remember being disappointed. I just want, you know, I wanted more of that raw lyricism. When you like particular artists and they put out work that's kind of outside of what they normally do or outside of what they normally would, you know, create in an album, do you find yourself being really critical or are you open because this is somebody that you really like and respect. I think that's changed as I've gotten older. I mean, I think I was I was probably far more critical in the past. Nowadays, I'm just like, I'm just going to move on. You know, honestly. Yeah. There are some artists that I just like so much that I'll find a way to like, I'll find a way to understand it. I'll find a way to make sense of it. Yeah. And then there are others where I just, I'll just move on. I'm just like, okay, I don't like this one. It's not for me. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I agree in that. I think I'm more tolerable now. I actually find myself feeling less tolerable of artists who don't grow. Mm, I find yeah. myself less tolerable of, of artists who just keep making the same record over and over again. Is that both in sound and lyricism or is it one or the other? I'm thinking more about content. Okay. Let's be real. I think a great deal of like Rock Marcy's catalog or Ka for example. Yeah. Sounds very similar. There are not like drastic departures in sound or production. Right. But Khan in particular, like he's the guy to me is just, he's a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very much interested in what he has to say. Right. And he says things from various angles, from different perspectives. He tells stories in different ways. I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there's just some, some folks who just don't have anything else to say they're talking about the same shit each and every song each and every album sonically there's not much of a departure i just get bored with that give me an example well i hate to say it but griselda mm-hmm. a lot of respect for those dudes and what they've done for the culture we've talked about this before mm-hmm. they brought that like boom bap 90s style 90s feel mm-hmm. back to the mainstream in some regards love that yeah and you know what's good for them i think is good for hip-hop yeah, absolutely. But I honestly feel like I've heard two or three projects. I feel like I've heard them all. Yeah. Pray for Paris might be an exception to that. But I was trying to think of somebody that I felt the same way about. Don't get me wrong. There's something to be said. I feel bad about you know saying something negative about Griselda. There, there's something to be said for the consistency. And yeah. those guys, they are incredibly consistent. One album to the next. 
but I I don't know how I'm supposed to like pick one and say this is my favorite one. I don't necessarily know that when you're talking about an album that doesn't speak to you. I mean, I think you're allowed to say that. I think you're allowed to say this isn't for me because of X, Y, and Z. You know, mad respect, but doesn't speak to me. I remember when Cuban Links 2 came out, I was real excited. And about halfway through, I was like, this is, this is it. I mean, it's what, what, 14 years later and we're still, this is just an album about cooking coke. So I think about, I did think of somebody, Pusha T. Yeah. You know, like, I understand what your background was before this. I, I get it. And I need a little bit more, you know, I need a little bit more. I think he has brought a little bit more, but I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Maybe, honestly, I don't listen to him enough to know that. Maybe I cut cut him off too too long ago to know that. But I do think a lot of the content, what he specifically raps about, I do think it's there's a pattern there. Yeah, I hear you. I don't think I expected The New Danger to be another black on both sides. But I also just didn't expect it to be this complete departure. Just completely different. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. And again, I think in retrospect, it makes sense too, because it was like five years, I think, between those two albums. And in those five years, like he'd become a completely different kind of celebrity. Yeah. Like we were saying, he got into film and making movies and doing acting. And it makes sense that he'd come back and have a whole new like approach to making music. I think I can go one or two ways. Like there are people that I've been listening to for years and they do this project that is just nothing like they've ever done before and i really like it and then people do that and i'm like this ain't it right so i don't know it's hit or miss i guess i can appreciate now well you know i won't claim to know what he was trying to accomplish with with the new danger but i i can appreciate some aspects of it now especially you know listen listen to rock and roll on black on both sides and then yeah. pretend it's a cut on the new danger and that might help you okay and i do appreciate how black jack johnson was like the name of this band that he put together mm-hmm. and you know, you're talking about him offering an education and there that that's still there on the new danger yeah it just sounds different. I ain't trying to dish, but I don't be trying to fuck with Limp Bizkit. When I get down in my zone, I be rocking bad brains and fishbone. I ain't trying to slow your groove, but that ain't the way I'm trying to move. I don't turn on corn and get it on. I be playing Jimmy Hendrix to the dawn. That's my world's born. Sitting up on my front lawn. Got the volume turned to 10. Playing Albert King the best of the day. When I'm on it in the cooker Got to turn on some jolly hooker When I want some rock and roll Go to oldest red and get some soul James Brown got plenty of soul James Brown likes to rock and roll He can do all the shit for show The Elvis Presley could never know Energy ain't got no soul John Coltrane is rock and roll You may dig on the Rolling Stones They can never ever rock like Nina Simone Say whoa what are their albums were out in 2004? <laughs> I don't know that I would know that without looking it up. I honestly don't. Well, you have a little record called The College Dropout. Ah. That was that. Eminem's Encore. 
Ghostface, Pretty Tony, Mad Villainy, mm-hmm. The Tipping Point by the Roots, Kiss of Death, Jadakiss, just to give you all the flavor, Red Light District by Ludacris. I had that album for sure. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I was just like, damn, what? I like literally couldn't think of one album. I think this is when the South really started taking over. Yes. Urban Legend came out in 2004. Um, Paul Wall. Trick Daddy. Part 2. Yeah, and like most Def's character in Bamboozle, like references like Master P was really, like No Limit was really, had a hold on the South and the and the radio airwaves. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird time in hip-hop. Yeah. The 2000s it were just kind of... I don't even know. I just feel like they were eh with like sprinkles here and there of like really great shit. I'm scrolling through this list and and there's like so few of these albums that I actually listen to outside of College Dropout and Encore and Mad Villainy and Tipping Point, Pretty Tony, De La's Grind Date. Not much else though. Uh, Gene Gray's This Week. That's when I first started listening to Gene Gray. That's, that's, That's about it. Yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> I probably should have been listening to Slum Village, and I wasn't. I don't know what else. Didn't get into Purple Haze? No, I didn't. I don't know why. I was never really never really a Cameron fan or a Dipset fan. No? No. I feel like that was their time. Yeah, I think you're right. That was that was the age of Dipset. You know, true to farm, you know, I will talk a little bit about Kanye. Like that was I was definitely like into Kanye at that time. Oh, hell yeah. I wanted to listen to Kanye's records and the stuff that he was making for other people. Yeah, College Dropout was just... I listened to that over and over and over again when that came out. Mm-hmm. Got, I had it, bought it when I was in college, and I would just sit in my room on repeat. It's such a good record. That was another album that like made me... I felt hopeful. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is we're going to bring it back. This is going to take yeah, over again. I agree with that. Most was on that record. Mm-hmm. Two words. Kanye. Mm. It's okay. We're not gonna. We're not gonna go that. That's all I have to say. Yeah. That's all I have. We're not gonna. We do this every time, and I mean, it's kind of hard not to because the staple he's left. But we're not gonna do it tonight. No, not. I refuse to go down that path. The end. I I have to say that I really enjoyed most stuff on Dave Chappelle. He was pretty funny. He's in some skits. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We talk about the Black Bush (laughs) sketch all the time. All the time. I'm I'm constantly thinking about him in that sketch. <laughs> the terror, oh, the shit. terror level has been raised to the color of this shoe. <laughs> oh fuck! And when he was the announcer at the race draft, yeah, <laughs> so good, so so good, man. Yeah, yeah, I loved him on that. I loved the performances on Dave Chappelle. I loved it. Like. I'm thinking about when most Steph and Dave Chappelle went in the car, most Steph yeah. was just spitting. Close Love edge. that shit. Close edge. Right. And that track is one of my favorites from the new danger. Like Yeah. Because of that, I think. Yeah, but that was great. Yeah. Shit is so good. And then I remember whenever he had I feel like they were in the kitchen. It was like That was common. Common. Kanye. Food. Who else? Food. The, that was the song Food. Love it. That was one of the good things about that show. I just remember Dead Pl- Dead Press playing in the back when he came out right i mean dave Chappelle is sort of like he has all i don't even know how but he has all he has his relationship with all these amazing people in hip-hop oh yeah i mean dave Chappelle's block party was yeah love the hell out of that 
That was so great. And I've been sort of seeing what he's like doing. He had something at his, he lives on this like farm in Ohio and he had something going on, right? Like Caleb was out there. Rock. Bunch of people were. Chris Rock was there. Um, yeah. Questlove was there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's coming. I think we're going to be seeing that soon. Yeah. He's been having a series of those gatherings. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for that. He also, not to go back to him, but he also just went to Wyoming to show his support for his friend. That's all I'll say. Right. Right. So 88 okay. Keys was out there too. I saw that. Yeah. By the way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what friends do. And Bieber. Don't forget Bieber. <laughs> Did you see the pic? Did you see the picture of Damon Dash and Bieber sitting together? No. Oh man, what is Dame Dash doing now? I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. Live streaming his insulin tests, which I respect. He's trying to bring some awareness. Yeah. I remember hearing stories about most Def being like incredibly unreliable. In what way? That he would show up to the studio late. That he may or may not show up to the gig. That kind of stuff. Yikes. Stories from who just like random, I don't just like remember. random, I random think, rumors. I think some of that might have been in the tribe doc, if I remember correctly. Maybe I'm getting that mixed up with Fife. No, that was part of Fife's story. Or maybe I remember it might have been an interview with Quali. And I feel like we could go to a whole down a whole fucking rabbit trail about Quali with this episode, but I'm not sure I want to do that either. <laughs> That's interesting. I want to say I find that surprising. I don't know. I don't know if I do. I watched this uh, like five minute clip. On YouTube of someone, I don't even know who was behind the camera, trying to get most deaf to rhyme words with orange. They had this whole conversation about what rhymes with orange. And most just kept like saying stuff like Florence and Torrent, Torrance. His his argument was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even need to rhyme. Like it's about flow. Like if I can make it flow, Mm. that's all that matters. Okay. And whoever was talking to him was like really being real. No, a direct, like you're making a nursery rhyme. Like what rhymes with orange? They were getting a little impatient. They, it's, most was like super chill though. That's how I feel like he might be all the time. He was also rolling a blunt in this video. Well, you know. Which I don't think helps with punctuality. No, I don't think it helps with anything except for stress and anxiety. But did you ever see, I posted a little bit of it today when he was on Bill, Bill Mayer. Why do you say Bill Mayers? Is it Mayer Meyer? Bill Mar Bill Mar? Ma- Mar? Is that his name? I don't fucking know. I, I hate like I hate that guy. Can't fucking stand him. Bill Mar, I think is his name. He's an asshole. Yeah, definitely fucking is. And this was no exception when, when most stuff was on there. Yeah. With Cornell West. It was really interesting that you should watch it. But they were talking about I don't know if it was like right around when nine eleven happened. But they were talking about nine eleven and most stuff was just like talking about um Al Qaeda and how it was just like this big bullshit sort of conspiracy theory, how they didn't have anything to do with nine eleven, how they weren't really dangerous. He was just like he was like, They're over there making videos saying, I'm gonna kill you. If you're gonna kill somebody, you're just gonna do it. He's like, Why are you send, why are you gonna send videos? He's like, That's not danger. He was like, I'm from the projects. That's not danger. <laughs> got a so point. Bill Maher was just like, oh, come on. It's funny. I can hear him saying that. Yeah, he's ridiculous. I fucking hate him, mostly because on his show, he definitely said the N-word. And I'm right. like, that ain't it. And yeah. then he had all these rappers come on. And it was just like his, like, sorry, so I'm going to bring all these black rappers on so they can sort of redeem me. Now, get the fuck out of here. And I don't think they did. I think they told him off. I never saw the clip, but I know Ice Cube was on there. Thank Killer Mike. 
Mm-hmm. I've seen Killer Mike on his show. But, yeah. Fuck him. I've always, I've always uh, disliked watching him. I think he's a turd, but so, yeah. It's not for me. I would really love to sit down and have a conversation with Yasin Bey. He just has so much insight, and he's funny as hell. I kind of wonder if it would be a disappointment. He just seems so quiet. He seems like really like introspective and and just really quiet. I don't know. I mean, and I can't speak to what their experience was, but just like reading a lot of the written interviews that like Fader put out, or I think I read one by Spin too. Like he just provides so much insight. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how those interviews were conducted. I, I don't know. I just love his commentary on just life in the world. There's clearly like a lot going on, you know, in him, you know. And this is somebody that dropped out of high school. Yeah. She would never know. You would never know at all. I, I do think that like you always, your fantasy is, is better than reality usually in those situations. And so maybe it wouldn't be all that. I'm not saying I would turn it down, you know. If he, oh, if- Hell no. Listen, Yassine, if you're out there and you are listening and you, you want to come on the show, you, we'd love to have you. I'm, I'm sure we'd have a lot to talk about. Good morning, Back, reflect on the place that I live at. Unlike any place I ever been at. The home of big gaps. Deep dish, hammer rim caps. Have a mishap, push your wig back. Where you go to get the fresh trim at? Four on the J, got the Tim Rack. Blue collars, Metro calling in. Thugs mobbing in. Form partnership, increased armament. Street former says deep consequence. When you seek sleek ornaments, you get caught. Rode the white horse and can't get off. Big dogs that trick off just get sent off. They shoot box stashes, all they see is gotta live off. It's real, yo, but still, yo, it's love here, and it's felt by anybody to come here, out of town let's take the train, plane and bus here, must be something that they really want here, one year as a resident, deep in sentiment, they shout out, go Brooklyn, they representing it, sitting on their front stoop, sipping Guinnesses, using native dialect in their sentences, from the tree line blocks to the tenements, to the mom and pop local shop businesses, but travel all around the world at great distances, it ain't a place that I know that bear resemblance. That's why we call it the planet. Now the borough or a province, our style is uncommon. From some to the tongue, against the Lafayette Gardens. White Cove, Gowanus, and the Army Jacket Yo, this goes out to Macassar, Coney Isle, Friday night, out in front of the Himalaya, going wild. This goes out to Crown Heights and Smurf Village. The 90s, and all my yard at Trinity Brown's Village. Parkside, tennis court, 30s, 40s, in the 50s. The cats out in Star Wright City, getting busy. To the hook, to the east, to the stop. Bushwick and Canarsie, Farragut, Fort Green, and Marcy. My Flatbush Posse, Generals and Armies, when it's time to form, just call me. And let this song be, playing loud and long be, if you love Bucktown strongly. Look, I'd love to talk about this song, Brooklyn. We were talking about how some people have described this album, Black on Both Sides, as a, as a love letter to Brooklyn. The song Brooklyn, I think, is incredible. And I like what I've read about this, like the story of the song. Like, supposedly, I think it's Geology that produced that track. So that song, Brooklyn, you know, is like three suites. It's like three movements. Mm-hmm. And the first one was a geology, like original production. And what I read was that it was supposed to be the whole song. And most like made the decision on his own to change it. It didn't tell geology until 
it was done. And that's how geology found out that his track had been like chopped up. But I love what most did with it because it's like it's obvious, but it isn't like it goes to these movements in the second, the second like suite. He uses Roy Ayers, uh, We Live in Brooklyn, Baby, mm. which, uh, you know, has been used so many times. But the two songs that come to my mind are are also like tributes to Brooklyn. Diggable Planets uh, used it for Burrow Check with Guru on um, Blowout Comb. And they actually, they they say, we live in Brooklyn. We live in yeah. Brooklyn. It's the chorus, right? And Smith & Wesson also used it for Home Sweet Home mm-hmm. on The Shining. It's such a like perfect nod to Brooklyn. And he follows that up with who, like the instrumental from Who Shot You and Big, who is Brooklyn. So many people's eyes. It's a great song. Yeah. Who was making that kind of song with these well, different no movements and suites? Right. Not 99. That's what's so great about this record. You could have songs like hip hop and... Do it now with Buster Rhymes, right alongside Umi says, and he ends this this album with an instrumental, May December. I mean, it's brilliant. Do you think it was ahead of its time or right on time? I think it played such a important role. It played such a, it filled such an important space mm-hmm. in 1999. So, so in that sense, I feel like it was right on time, but. I also feel like it, it may have been ahead of its time in some way. Yeah. You know, like we were talking, we were like comparing it, you were comparing it to Seat at the Table. Like if this album was released this year, it would be, not that it wasn't big before, but it would be huge. Yeah. I mean, we 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 need a black on both sides now. Yeah. That's why this, that's why I said this album is still so relevant. Agreed. Who the fuck knows when we would have got the opportunity, but it's a shame that 20 year celebration never happened at the app. Did it? Did it never happen? I think it did eventually. Maybe it didn't. I don't think it did. I think it I kept getting pushed back, and because I had somebody I worked with was trying to go, and I think she told me that it was it. It just got completely canceled. I could be making it up. Maybe it did happen. I can't keep track. But it was like so. It was like back and forth, back and forth, because all this shit happened. All this shit went wrong, and. Reef was supposed to perform at it. That's how I knew all this shit happened because he went the fuck in. Right. And was like, whether it happens or not, I'm not going to be part of it. So it just sounded like the AV did not have their shit together. Right. So I'm pretty sure my coworker was like, yeah, no, it ain't happening. I think this is what I think happened. So for those who don't know, if you're not from Philly, you might not know the story. There's a new venue in Philadelphia called the AV which is in a spot where there have been a new venue for like every two years for the past 15 years has been a different venue in this place. But the Av was supposed to host, it was the, 20, the 20th anniversary? 20th anniversary. Of most was, Yasin Bey was going on tour uh, doing the 20th anniversary of Black on Both Sides. He was supposed to do it at this venue, the Av. I think Talib Kweli was supposed to be there too originally. He was. And our uh, friend of the show, Reef the Lost Cause, was going to open. and. They postponed the show. I don't remember why. The venue wasn't ready, I think, was the issue. This was going to be like one of the first shows at the yeah. venue. And Reef, like, it really, it really rubbed Reef the wrong way. And he felt obligated to go public with how the venue was treating the artists, treating him, giving information to the public, and, and really just let him have it publicly. And that was enough for me to be like, oh, I'm not, forget that. I'm walking away from that. But they tried to reschedule it like two or three times and kept adding artists. Like Slick Rick, I think, was on the on the um, on the list at some point, and so was uh, 
I'll remember who the other. It was another like you know legendary artist, mm-hmm. and I think it never happened because of COVID. I think it kept getting pushed back and pushed back, and then the pandemic hit and they had to shut down. I think with Reef, yeah, like they weren't done <laughs> building the venue. That's what it sounded like, and he tried to go in there just to see what was up before the show and it was like pretty close to the show i think it was like the week before or something like that and he couldn't get a hold of anyone yeah so yeah that's if i was i don't know who does yasin bay's booking but if that happened the first like i would be like hey we ain't rescheduling shit we're out there's plenty of other venues in philly that i host you shit go to the electric factory it was supposed to be here it is the last time they tried to put it on march 20th it, it was going to be Yasin Bey, Talib Kweli, M.O.P., Pharaoh Manch, and Slick Rick. That actually would have been really good. Tempting, right? Yeah. But I don't think it ever happened. Initially, I was just like, ooh, because tickets were like $75, and I was like, ah, I can't do that right now. Yeah. I mean, but for all those people, if they would have rescheduled, if it was $75, I'd be like, maybe. But no. Yeah. Speaking of treating artists shitty... And mathematics makes me not want to be part of any streaming services. You mean the like the math as it adds up for the artists? Yeah, how it just doesn't add up yeah. for them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think about that a lot because so many people in the biz, I mean, artists have said like, you don't make, you don't make shit in mm-hmm. the services. And so I, a big part of me, I mean, I think when I was younger, I, I just didn't care about a lot of that stuff. Like, I didn't really think much about it. But now, I'm like, fuck. I mean, this is our livelihood. Right. Especially now with shit being canceled, looking right, you can't perform anywhere. I'm just kind of like, full of guilty. That's why I just try to buy physicals, you know, when I can. Yeah. Especially during the pandemic. Done my best on Bandcamp Fridays and buying directly from the artists, trying to help you all out. As much yeah, as you got to put in the extra work. Merch, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Trying to keep all my favorite artists and favorite breweries in business. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I was thinking about this the other day because I was talking to, I was with some friends and we were talking about like going out, like dancing. And I'm like, I have no idea when the fuck we're going to be able to do that. Yeah. That'll... Like, I can't imagine nope. when we're ever going to be able to do that again. Like next year sounds too soon. Well, it won't happen until after February at least. Yeah. Because City Philadelphia's already said, Mm-mm. well, I guess they could do it if they kept it under twenty five people. Oh no, it's a fucking mess. Isn't it? it is a mess, and honestly, I, I mean, frankly, the thought of being in a room full of crowd of people does not really appeal to me, mask or not. So, <laughs> you mean, yeah, you know. like whatever, pandemic, no pandemic, I don't really want to be around people. No, I don't. I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a hundred percent. Concerts are really hard for me. I just find myself standing there tired usually and i'm just kind of like i just want to be at home yeah i was so happy watching the roots picnic on fucking tv (laughs) i can't even tell you i was like i hope that they keep doing this shit because this is fucking perfect i had a beer i was on couch i had my feet propped i wasn't standing in his fucking line it wasn't fucking hot it was just so amazing and it was really well done i don't know if you watched it but it was really well done yeah i watched parts of it it was good like i think unfortunately 
in this state of COVID, when folks have tried to go live or online with stuff, it just doesn't seem to work out more times than not. That was not the case with the Ruspector. That shit was really fucking good. And I was like, I can get into this shit. I don't need to go outside to sweat to see the roots perform. Like, I'll just watch them right in the comfort of my own home. I was so okay with that. Yeah, I hear you. I miss the energy, though, that those live performances have. Yeah. That's, that's what I miss. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like you. Like, I do it out the crowds and, and, you know, the inevitable assholes yeah that show up at these events but you know that you can't you can't replace the energy i mean the experience is like no other i right. mean when I, when i saw wu-tang at the electric factory it's not called that anymore i don't know what the hell it's called now it's called the electric yeah. factory that's it's always going to be the electric factory <laughs> yeah i yeah thank you i mean that was fucking incredible like i was i had my mouth open probably 50 percent of the show because i just could not fucking believe that i was there yeah. in front of these people that i have watched on television for so many years like i was in the room with them while they were performing that was just fucking incredible so yeah you can't really beat this stuff like that that's how i felt when i saw rakim out at uh ardmore music hall this hole in the wall and it was incredible crazy and that venue is pretty small too yeah tiny yeah you're right in that you're not gonna get that sitting on your couch I just, like, my tolerance for people is just so low. I have this, like, lingering question about, I guess he, he would be, I struggle sometimes to know whether to say most deaf or Yassine Bey, but I'm going to say Yassine Bey because this was when he was going by that name. It's after he made the name change. He was teasing this project with Manny Fresh. Yeah. OMF God, BK Nolo. I don't, mm-hmm. it seemed to be what it's called. And unless I've missed something and it's, only in select places it never happened right no it didn't so the last thing i read about it and this was i want to say last year he said it's coming oh please i'm ready so ready i loved what i heard from it like the two or three tracks that they leaked sounded incredible i didn't hear anything but i just remember feeling like that is such an interesting combination there's a series of um videos that they released i guess as promos yeah of of them in the studio working on it and i remember hearing at least two songs yeah and both of them were just like blew me away i was like yo this is incredible and i couldn't wait i can't wait i didn't hear anything that leaked what's the feel what's the vibe of the sound it's a <laughs> i don't know how it's a manny fresh beat with most does def- it sound does it sound southern uh, like a, I, I mean, like a, it doesn't sound. You know, it's not like the block is hot or or. Uh, it I mean, it's not like back that ass up. It's not like that. It's but, not. It doesn't have that cash money vibe. But you can no. Nah, but you could tell. Like it has like the Manny Fresh like signature like uh, like time code. Like it's his. Okay. It's in his pocket. It's in his lane. You know. Yeah. And most is just doing his thing over it. He's like doesn't change his style at all. Uh, it just somehow works. I'm so interested. I would have never guessed that that would happen. That you, those two people would come together and work on a project. Watch the watch the videos because the first one in particular is interesting. It's just Manny like sitting at the console, like pulling up pre-made tracks, pre-made beats, and most uh-huh. like freestyling over them. And it just it works. Yeah, I want to hear that for sure. But yeah, he said 
He just said it's coming. He didn't give a date or anything like that. He said the projects are still happening. They're coming. It's like four or five years in the making. Come on. Yeah, because, I mean, there was that, and then there was Black Star, too. There was those yeah. two projects that people were have been waiting on. Been teasing that, too. Yeah. They stay on nigga patrol on American roads, but when you travel abroad, they got a world nigga law. Some folks get on the plane, go where they please, but I go overseas, and I get overseas. Listen, how, how prophetic this is. I just remembered this. On Black on Both Sides, you know, he's got the track Mr. N with Q-Tip. How prophetic is that song? At one point, he, he says in that song something about when you travel abroad, they've got word, they've got world N-word law. Some folks go on a plane, go where they please. I go overseas. I get seized. How prophetic is that? How did he know? Yeah. How did he know that was going to happen? Damn near 10 years later, he gets detained in South Africa. Oh, no. I couldn't believe yes. that. I couldn't believe yeah. that. When I listened back to that again this week, I was like, yo, he's talking about himself. How did he know? Maybe, maybe he got detained on purpose just so he could fulfill <laughs> that prophecy. I mean, that's, that's fucking dedication. <laughs> I, I'm not going to believe that, but that is dedication. <laughs> so. I love that song. One of my favorites. Ah, it's a great song. I mean, I think just just circling back to the beginning, to where we started, the messages on this album about racism mm-hmm. and like inequality are so powerful. And yeah. it's it's interesting, you know. I'll say it again. It's just interesting how he manages to like address them and talk about them in a way that's like poignant and heavy, and yet you still walk away with it with some feeling of optimism mm-hmm. just great art it's not like fuck you for doing this and that i'm out somehow you feel like this is our life but we're gonna get through it and it sounds like and i don't i mean i imagine it is you know writing a song is therapeutic but it sounds like when he's when he's talking about this shit it sounds like one black person venting to another so like you yeah. think about the audience and it sounds like you're venting and you feel so much better after you vent he ends that song just by saying, like, I'm going I'm to live through. I'm going to get by. I'm going to do me. I'm going to take care of my family. Right. I'm going to be cool. Right. So you get that shit off your chest, and then you're like, okay, got to keep it pushing. Yeah. I'm glad you picked this record. Like I said, I was, I was really looking for something specific. I think we've been trying to be really intentional about the conversations we've been having on here mm-hmm. because we want them to reflect what's happening in the world. And that's also trickled down to the albums we pick. And that's why I chose this album because of how it makes me feel as a black person, but also because the conversations that are being had on it and how important records like this still are and how much we need records like this. I wish there were more available and we can always go back, but you know, I want more, more people creating content like this. Yeah. You know, some are, but not on a larger scale. Yeah. I mean, I've heard some, some public outcry for from from artists for like from some of the some of the uh, more seasoned artists yeah the outcry for for more for like new anthems for new yeah new art new songs that speak to the current issues yeah we we could use some some art like that i have a feeling it's out there it's just not as easy to like disseminate you know to to get to people yeah i think that's true but you know we'll it's- see this time, this this fight, this current fight is not it's not over. I think it's so interesting that 
you talk about how things used to be with music and how like you really had to dig before the internet and you really had to look. And I think we're in the same position because there's so much now. We're just in the complete opposite. Yeah. But you still have to dig. You still got to look to find the good shit because there's so much other stuff out there that you have to weed through first. And I think when you're specifically looking for art and music that addresses issues, particularly in the black community and talks about racism, you know, like when you get really specifically that, like you, you gotta, you really gotta work to find it. Because again, I, I really, you know, I know artists, you know, speak out and, and march and, you know, do advocacy, but I don't always know that that's reflected in a lot of the work that we hear. Yeah. I don't I, know. I mean, I think for me, if it's not like trending somewhere, then it's hard for me to find it. Right. Um, uh, that doesn't mean it's not out there. I mean, I just, yeah. I feel certain all the time that I'm always missing something, which is not always a comfortable feeling, but. I mean, even when I'm on Bandcamp, I mean, that's how I find a lot of new people. I have to be on there for hours a lot of times. <laughs> like, and just go through and listen, see what I like. I mean, it's a, it's a project. Yeah. You've got to be invested in it. Yep. you got to have some time. We'll see what the rest of 2020 brings us. I'm going to remain hopeful like black on both sides. There you go. That's all, folks. We've emptied our bag of tricks. I've gone through all my notes. But if this is your first time listening to an episode, I mean, we're pretty much everywhere on every podcast platform. I mean, it's pretty basic. Yeah. We're in all the places that matter. And the name of our show is The Next Movement. We're The Next Movement Podcast. That's what you've been listening to. We uh, have an Instagram account, The Next Movement Pod. We're also on Twitter. We're not very good at Twitter, okay? So be patient with us. But at the very least, you'll get information about what's happening on the show. I think that's just Next Movement Pod on Twitter. At Next Movement Pod. I think that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. As we have adequately described, this is The Next Movement. I'm Rob. I'm E. Peace, y'all. I strike the empire back. I strike the empire back. Fuck the empire. High flying like the Millennium Falcon. Pilots in my hand solo. I never roll for dolo. Front of no means a no no. Understand? Doing this for my family. Check it out, y'all. Yo, I'm trying to make a dollar out of what makes sense. Add it up so my daddy, I'll be a rich man. You never know. Switch can get today's solid ground out of yesterday's quicksand. Who dreamt about being a big man on small blue sleeve sheets? I sketched the big plan. You gotta handle business properly. Boost up my economy. Store it up and get my mall some water from property. Yesterday was not for me, but nowadays it's not for me. The streets is watching me. I watch back. That's the policy. Move along my heart and see like blood through the artery. Navigate the treacherous and make it seem effortless. For those who make the exodus seeking the north, beacon from beating and hog eating from punishment all season. From hands cracked and bleeding Cotton thorns in your palms It's for y'all that have sketched these songs And it goes Yeah, either we we'll walk through the valley of the shadow I've been no man because faith is the arrow We'll go through court travel worldwide to block narrow We can blow with the ammo We'll go mano a mano Quietly is you with me What up, what up? Let's make it happen I burn through your argument with action My eyes stay fast This is tomorrow looking for a brighter day When you wanna leave, y'all Right away South to northern, the Cacalax, to California, from the coldest, to the warmest, to the borders, across the waters, understand, yeah, we yeah. got love yeah. in the place.
Yeah. Shut up.